Do marketers ruin everything? The evidence suggests yes. So along comes a new platform or a new social media app, and before you know it, it's a torrent of marketing broadcasts and adverts. But it doesn't need to be like that. Let's grab a coffee and chat about this some more. Welcome to episode 214 of the award-winning Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the BS and the complexity from your marketing strategy. Hello and welcome to the show. I'd just like to thank you so much for downloading or streaming the Marketing and Finance podcast. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plugging me and my guests into your earphones. This week, it's just me and the mic talking about a subject that's caught my attention in the last few weeks. Do marketers ruin everything? And of course, I've got to caveat that by reminding you that I am a marketer. I'm a career marketer. I've been doing it all my life. So am I part of the problem? This question as to whether marketers ruin everything, I think that the first person I heard raise this issue was an American marketer called Gary V. Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary Vaynerchuk. And his hypothesis is that whenever a new piece of technology comes along or a new platform or a new social media app, marketers dive on it and ruin it. They turn it into a broadcast platform. They turn it into an advertising platform. They bombard people with messages. Eventually, people get fed up with those messages and they either leave and go somewhere else or they have to invent a piece of technology to block the bombardment of advertising messages. And actually, if you look at all the platforms and the technology and the social media within this digital world that we live in, it's actually hard to disagree with that viewpoint. Take email, for example. You might sign up for a list with the promise of receiving a weekly newsletter or receiving a downloaded ebook or something like that. And before you know it, you're getting bombarded with emails trying to sell you stuff. I often tell the story of signing up for a webinar and getting two or three emails a day in the week leading up to the um, webinar. And then on the actual day before the webinar, there was like an hourly email. And, you know, this guy running the the um, webinar was on the west coast of the United States and of course the time difference and everything when I woke up the following morning the actual day of the webinar was about six or seven emails on the hour every hour from this guy reminding me about his bloody webinar and in the end my hand came crashing down on the big red unsubscribe button so email is a phenomenally useful tool but have marketers ruined it Well, they may have ruined it, but we've now got the means to stop them. We can unsubscribe from the email or we can use a platform like Gmail to filter out the marketing guff. The phone's the same sort of thing. How many times do you see that number on your phone that you don't recognise? Now, you might just refuse to answer it, but if you do answer it, it might be somebody who says something like, we believe you've been in a car accident or did you realise that you've only got a few weeks left to claim your compensation for that PPI policy that you didn't take out 20 years ago. And of course, we now have the means to block those cold calls. We can apply, in the UK at least, to go on the telephone preference service so it makes it illegal for them to phone you. And there's there's legislation to stop 
people cold calling you about pensions, for example. So there again, a platform that marketers have come along and ruined, which has resulted in somebody either having to pass a law or invent some technology to prevent them from bombarding with messages. Same on websites, annoying pop-up ads. You know, if you go to a newspaper website these days, whatever it is, Daily Mail, Guardian, Independent, you can guarantee that it's absolutely festooned with adverts. Those little annoying videos that pop up down in the corner. It's almost like playing Space Invaders. There's the video. You go zap, get rid of it. And before you know it, another one appears in the other corner. So you have to go zap and get rid of that one. It's annoying. Now, we've got pop-up blockers to stop that, but some of those adverts seem to be able to get round the pop-up blockers. We're just, we're just stuck with them. So, marketers have potentially ruined that platform. And what about social media? Well, again, you can argue that marketers have come along and ruined it. Twitter's the best example of this. It originally began as a social platform, a place where you have a two-way conversation. You know, just like you would have a two-way conversation with a friend or a colleague in the pub or a coffee shop. But before you know it, the marketers come in and absolutely inundate the feed with broadcasts, advertising this, trying to sell that. And sometimes, if you follow somebody on Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever it is, within two seconds, you get a direct message from them trying to sell you stuff. So arguably, the marketers have ruined the social media platforms as well. And we've had to create ways of blocking them. Now, on Twitter, you've got the mute button. So if somebody is being overly in your face with too many broadcasts or too many adverts, you can mute them. Well, you can unfollow them as well, I guess. But sometimes you can't even do that. <laughs> Recently, I've noticed that I've been getting adverts in my Facebook feed from a guy in America called Ted McGrath, who promises to teach me how to grow a seven-figure business by becoming a public speaker. But this guy seems to think he's got a method that could elevate me into that millionaire category. All I've got to do, of course, is buy his stuff. The thing is, this guy is there every time I open Facebook. I've obviously visited his website at some time and been pixeled. So now I go into Facebook, there he is. And, and I've actually noticed that he appears sometimes in adverts on newspaper websites as well. So sometimes you just you can't unfollow some of these people. You've, you've literally got to go into the advertising preferences and either delete them or again find a way of muting them. So there definitely seems to be a pattern, doesn't there? Along comes a new platform, along comes a new piece of technology, along comes a new social media network, and the original reason for that piece of technology or that platform or that social media isn't marketing, it isn't marketing, but before you know it, the marketers are in there broadcasting, advertising, and potentially enraging the customer. And then somebody else has to come along and invent a way of stopping it, inventing a blocker, inventing a mute button. Now, I said at the start of this podcast, I reminded you that, of course, I am a marketer. I've been a career marketing person, a marketing bloke from Edinburgh. How do I feel about this situation? I've always put the customer first, and I think of myself as a customer of all those companies and all those brands that are out there. And the thing is, I don't like it when people bombard me with emails. I don't like it when I get cold phone calls. I don't like it when I see all those adverts pop up when I go into a newspaper's website. I don't like it when I go into social media and see more adverts and I see conversations. And I have to always ask myself, if I'm not happy with them doing it to me, 
Why should I think that as a marketer, it's okay for me to do it to them? That's what's always in my mind. But I also wonder how we got into this situation. And I think there are three reasons. And the first one is that in this modern digital world, I think we've forgotten that marketing isn't just about communications. If you were to do an MBA in marketing, you'd learn about customer focus, you'd learn about research, you'd learn about segmentation, targeting, positioning. You'd also learn about strategy, you'd learn about product development, pricing, you'd learn about distribution, and of course you would learn about communications and branding. But the communication element is only a very small part of what marketing is all about. And and I describe marketing as a deep, almost obsessive understanding of the customer. That always has to come first. And if you truly have a deep, almost obsessive understanding of the customer, then you're going to know that they don't want to be bombarded with messages on every platform and every social media app that they use. But I think that in many companies, and certainly at many conferences that you go to these days, the word marketing is now synonymous with communication. The word marketing is synonymous with broadcasting. The word marketing is synonymous with adverts and nothing else. Nobody talks about research. Nobody talks about product development or meeting customer needs. Or or if they do, they don't have global celebrity status anymore. And I think this needs to change, and I'll be accused of being an old git, but I do think we need to go back to the fundamentals and remember that marketing is about understanding the customer, creating a product that meets a customer's needs, and then communicating that product to the customer in an engaging rather than an enraging way. The second problem with marketing, of course, is the one that we've been talking about all the way through this, that it's intrusive, that it gets in the way, it interrupts your viewing of a TV programme, it interrupts your reading of a newspaper website, it interrupts your enjoyment of a conversation on a social media platform. The third problem with marketing, perhaps not as relevant for this particular conversation, but it's still an important one, is that it's often complicated. It's full of bloated words, passive language, gobbledygook and jargon. That's not how customers want us to communicate with them. So what can we do? Well, we need to solve those three issues first of all. And the first issue that marketing is just about communications, well, remind ourselves that it isn't. Now, I do appreciate that today... A lot of companies will employ people to be marketers and actually all they'll be doing is the communications. But if you're a marketer, remember the other parts of marketing. Remember the research, remember the customer need, remember the products, remember the offer, remember the strategy. If you immerse yourself in all the other elements of marketing, it will make you a better communicator overall. The intrusive stuff, well, the way to fix that is to create much more engaging stuff. Maybe not as many adverts, maybe more content. Stuff that helps people, stuff that answers people's questions, stuff that people might actually want to read rather than find a way of blocking it. And the complicated language and the jargon and the bloat, well, that just comes with discipline. But again, if you understand the customer, if you understand how the customer wants to be communicated with, then You shouldn't be using the complicated language because you'll know that that's not how people want to be communicated with. And I think overall, it's that word help which resonates most with me. 
So when a new platform comes along, when a new piece of technology comes along, when a new social media app comes along, maybe the first question we should ask ourselves isn't, how can I use this platform or technology or social media app to bombard potential customers with messages? Maybe the question that we need to ask ourselves is, how can we use it to help them? How can we use it to help them? Let's take Twitter for example. Yes, you can use Twitter to bombard people, to send out marketing messages, to send out broadcasts. But you can also use Twitter to do research. You can find out the conversations that people are having about certain products. You could include in your search within Twitter a particular keyword, put the question mark after that keyword, and the Twitter search will show you a load of tweets that people have done and it will return the results in the form of a question. So if your keyword's cupcakes question mark, it will be questions that people have about cupcakes. So that means that you've now got a load of information, a load of questions that people are asking about cupcakes, and you can go away and you can write blog posts and do videos answering the questions that people have about cupcakes. I'm not sure that people have that many questions about cupcakes, but that's the first example that came into my head. But but thinking about using Twitter for research means that you're not diving straight into broadcast mode. Here's another example sticking with Twitter. An article in Inc. Magazine, well, it was the, the website version of Inc. Magazine, caught my attention this week. The headline was, Delta Airlines does this one thing really well, and it's a huge win for customers. So I went and read the article and absolutely agree with what the guy was saying. So the article's written by a guy called Jason Aten. So, Jason is on this Delta Airlines plane. They've left the gate, doors closed, obviously bags loaded, everybody sat down, seat belted and ready for takeoff. Engines rev up, plane departs the gate and heads towards the taxiway. And when they get to the taxiway, the aircraft stops and there's that long sort of 10 minutes, well it always seemed longer than 10 minutes, when nothing seems to be happening. And then the captain came on and said, ladies and gentlemen, we have a technical fault. It looks like we're going to have to go back to the gate. It's possibly a technical fault that means we're going to be delayed for a couple of hours whilst we get it fixed. Now, Jason said that he had to get to where he was going for another connection to another flight to another airport and he couldn't really afford to wait for two hours for this plane to be fixed. So around him, people were coming to the same conclusion. Some people were phoning up, but he knew that if he phoned that number, he'd be in a queue for quite a long time. And he knew that if they got back to the terminal and everybody got off the aeroplane, then there was going to be 150 people going to the ticketing desk trying to get rebooked on another flight. And he knew that's going to take a long, long time. So he goes on to Twitter and immediately tweets Delta Airlines and says, can you help me in this particular scenario? And Delta reply almost immediately, take it into direct messaging, and within minutes, he's been rebooked on another flight, which will allow him ultimately to get to his final destination. All done on Twitter, all done extremely quickly, and all done really efficiently and really friendly. And I read this article and thought, Do you know what, that is great service. And I compared it to a similar experience I'd had in the UK with Fly B. Now, I was stuck at Birmingham Airport waiting for a delayed flight, and there was nobody from Fly B in the terminal. No information was forthcoming. There was just nobody there to tell me whether this plane was ever going to depart. And every 10 minutes or so, the de departure time on the board seemed to creep forward another 10 minutes. So, 
it was like we're in limbo and nobody was telling us anything. Now, I tried to tweet the fly bee people and all they could do is come back and say well it's showing that it's going to be departing in half an hour's time but that was different information that was actually on the departures board and this was about quarter to 10 at night and the person tweeting back to me said we actually closed down at 10 p.m so i can't help you any further after that now the delta airlines twitter team and in fairness they've probably got hundreds and hundreds of people in that social media team working on customer service They're open 24 hours a day. That is great customer service. But here's an example of a company that isn't just using Twitter to bombard the customer. They're using Twitter genuinely to help people who need rebooking, who need to change their flights. And again, I think that's a great example. Instead of immediately thinking, how can we use this new platform, this new technology, this new social media app to bombard people with messages? The question they probably asked themselves was, how can we use this platform? How can we use this technology? How can we use this social media to help? How can we use it to help? And I think that that's the way that we stop this problem, that marketers ruin everything. Don't ask the question, how can we use it to bombard? Ask the question, how can we use it to help? It always seems to be the case that with my solo shows, they do turn out to be a little bit ranty. But I hope you enjoyed that little canter through the marketing process and thinking about what we can do to help people rather than immediately diving into the communications possibilities that that technology or that platform or that social media app offers us. If you need help with your marketing, look me up at rogeredwards.co.uk or you can find me on Twitter at Roger underscore Edwards. I'd love to talk to you about how you can make your marketing more engaging and less enraging. In the meantime, thank you so much for downloading or streaming the Marketing and Finance podcast. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listening to the show. I will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.